Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rob Murray in the hot seat as we sound the Claxton and prepare once again to dive into the murky world that exists behind the curtain in the game and industry that is golf. There were some air quotes there around mm-hmm. behind the curtain. Adrian got to see them, but none of them. That was an expression. Special episode today, one that I've been looking forward to for a while because we're going to continue our discussions around public golf, but the difference today is that we're going to be joined by somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. Fiona Telford is Golf Australia's Government Relations Manager. She'll join us in just a moment to discuss all that that job entails. Before we meet Fiona, however, let me introduce my always dapper co-host, Adrian Logue. Resplendent today in the full beanie and scarf, I wrote before you arrived. Not resplendent in the full beanie and scarf. Incorrect. Yep. You got a quarter zip or quarter button? And uh, a- no, I think this is, I don't know, some sort of... Uh, Cashmere card, thing that cardigan you just threw type on. of thing. And yeah, that you just I've got my St Andrews hat. And I've got to tell I think you, this is the classiest of the St Andrews hats. Although you're about to criticise, I'm not big on the cap. Really? No, the cap is a young person's game. Okay, I yeah. hate to tell you, Adrian. Uh, it's you're St not, Andrews. You're, cap. you're playing the wrong game there because you're not the <laughs> young person. Uh, so not as da- dapper as I thought. It is still a shame that our listeners can't see you because uh, you do cut a dashing cut a dashing figure. This is going to be a big episode for us. I feel like the grown ups are joining the conversation today. No more of our childish. Toys out of the cot tantrums. We're going to get a look behind the scenes of what actually goes on between governments and golf. So that should be some good fun. Indeed. Indeed it is. I'm really looking forward to the chat we're going to have with Fee. It indeed, as am I. Enough about enough from us on this topic. Regular listeners are well aware of our thoughts. What we haven't had to date is an insight into what the big picture issue looks like on the ground. It's easy to talk grand concepts and ideas, and they sound just that, grand. But often the realities at the coalface are less glamorous. We've done lots of the glamour stuff on this podcast. Let's find out now what we might have got right and wrong with all that bluff and bluster. Who better to fill us in than the person doing the actual job, Fiona Telford? Fiona, terrific of you to take some time. We're really looking forward to having a chat today. Thanks, Rod, and it's lovely to be with you too this morning. Indeed, and uh, terrific to be with you all. So let's start, Fiona, with a quick thumbnail sketch of what your role actually is. The title, I guess, the clue's probably in the title, Golf Australia Government Relations Manager. That's a fairly big catch-all, though, by the sound of it. It is. Um, traditionally, golf hasn't uh, had a huge relationship with government. Um, my role has been in the Golf Australia space for about 18 months. Prior to this, I was government relations manager for Golf Victoria, but when the one golf management model came into effect, I was wrapped up into the national body and I obviously then became national. Mm-hmm. So with uh, the role in Golf Victoria, there was a, a good five years of hard work Um, breaking through the barriers of government, mainly at the state level, to get a bit of recognition for the sport. And we are very fortunate down in Victoria to have an absolute golf crazy premier Mm -hmm. um, in Daniel Andrews, who has been prepared to um, recognise golf as an important community sport, not only at that high profile uh, event level, but also at the community level where he invests. So we're doing uh, pretty good down in Victoria uh, at the at the national level, I think the relationship has been always focused on those events like the Australian Open, the Women's Australian Open, etc. And and um, the government relationship has been at that level, not so much down at that community level. So my role is to effectively um, help clubs and facilities uh, tap into what's available from government, from grants to assistance to advice. Um, to anything that they need, and um, that's basically me in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. So I imagine all sports have access to a lot of the things that you'd be talking about, those community project improvement grants for sporting fields and you know, doing up the change rooms at the football field and those sorts of yeah. things. Is that what you're sort of talking about there? 
Exactly. And and they're very competitive um, grant programs. And um, It's an industry and, in itself, isn't it, Fiona? And a, and a it career sure in is. itself, knowing how to write a grant application, as I understand it. Absolutely. And we've actually, we've we've teamed up with a, a grant writing assistance um, uh, company called Red Tape Busters, and we provide a grant writing assistance program to our clubs and facilities who need to access that to help them write grants, uh, write applications for grants, which is which is going along quite well. It started in August last year, and we've been starting to see a bit of success there. So it is it it is an industry in itself. So, but also I think um, traditionally, as I said before, those grant programs are really competitive, and they've been very popular with uh, football, netball cricket, basketball, et cetera, et cetera. And I think traditionally golf clubs and facilities have just stood back and said, well, oh, we don't really qualify for that, so we won't bother. Well, they do because they're sporting clubs and it's just a matter of getting them to realise, well, hang on a minute, I can access that grant as well. My clubhouse needs updoing. We need we need new change rooms. We need this. We need that. We can tap into that too. So it's, it's about helping clubs um, access that as well. You must be a much more patient person than <laughs> Rod or I, Fiona, because I, I can't imagine what that process must be like. I'm already it, seething just yeah. thinking about it. What's the, what's the typical time frame to sort of launch a grant request to getting something approved or getting a result? Um, prior to COVID-19, it was a very long time. Um, it can sometimes some of the bigger grants, like the, the the federal infrastructure grants program, the Building Better Regions Fund, that um, that's just been announced recently. We've had a couple of golf clubs that have been successful in getting grants from that. That took um, probably five months, maybe more, um, from from go to woe. Mm. And what sort it's of a, what sort of works does process. that sort of fund? Clubhouse works or golf course works or. Um, either or either, they've just got to be able to demonstrate um, economic benefit to the community. So this is the difference with um, federal and state funding is state funding focuses on community benefits, so participation, boosting participation, all that sort of thing. Federal funding looks at the uh, community economy as a whole. So if your project, say, for example, Bairnsdale Golf Club, I think, has been successful in, in getting some funding for an irrigation project. So that's more of an environmental focus, but they could demonstrate that their golf club is a benefit to the community and provides such and such jobs to the community and et cetera. So it's that level of detail that those sorts of grants go down to. My mind's racing as you talk, Fiona. There's so many things to think about. Is it regional versus urban golf and all yeah, those sorts exactly. of things. However, what I guess Fiona's given us our first peek into there, Adrian, is the first reality we never think of. Golf's competing in this space with other sports. We Indeed. only ever think about golf and why don't people do this for golf and why don't people do that for golf? Well, part of the answer is because soccer and rugby league and netball and hockey are asking for all the same things, aren't they? And I wonder exactly how much... Right. Yes. Yeah. And I wonder, Fiona, how much government uh, opinion of golf is uh, pre predetermined by their experiences with other sports. Yes. Uh, so the perception of golf with government has always been um, a difficult one to break down. So um, golf has always had this, uh, as you know, this perception of being a rich white man's sport. Um, I'm not being 
awful by saying that, but that's pretty much the perception that government at all levels have about golf, and it's a, Pe- it's a historical perception. People, I think, Fiona. We could yeah, pe- people draw that out to the just, broader That's a reflection of the community. Yeah, And frankly, it's not at all uh, a surprise that people might think that because the images that we dish up of golf are very much middle-aged yeah. white blokes playing it. That's the truth. That's right. That's right, and and it's been um, it's been an interesting um, uh, development during COVID nineteen as well. Golf has been our golf clubs and facilities have struggled big time since uh, the the start of this pandemic, um, and I think people fail to remember that majority of golf club businesses and facility businesses, particularly in regional Australia. Um, rely heavily on hospitality and their food and beverage intake, and that's taken a massive, massive hit. Um, but all you see in the media, particularly in the last couple of weeks, is people out there playing golf because it's it is a sport that lends itself well to social distancing. And so the perception of people out there having a great time in the sun playing golf and getting you know getting um, the air and the relaxation that they need during these stressful times has um, once again given the game of golf of perception that we're actually okay. We don't need assistance, whereas we do. Um, So that is my job. One of my big challenges ahead is convincing government that, hang on, yeah, uh, there are people out there playing golf, but our golf clubs and facilities and Golf Australia as a a national sporting body has taken quite a hit. So um, breaking through uh, that perception is going to be hard. It's not as rosy. Back to the broader image of the game, Fiona. I'm of the belief, I'm not sure many agree with me, but I'm of the belief that that perception of golf from outside the game is without doubt our biggest barrier because everything feeds from that. When you walk into a meeting and there's a bunch of sports there and you're golf, everybody for the most part has already made a decision either as a golfer that you're okay or as a non-golfer that you're a problem. That's how it feels to me uh, without sort of <laughs> getting yourself in any trouble. Does that make sense to you what I'm saying? And whilst it's taken us a long time to build that image, how do we go about and how important is it that we go about tearing that image down and replacing it with a much more realistic image that those inside the game, we know that it's not like that, but we don't tell anybody. And that's on us. I I totally agree with you, Rod. Um, We've got to tell our story better. We've got to tell the story about what what we're doing um, with you know, getting kids involved in the sport. We've got a great schools program out there. We've got My Golf. We've got, um, you know, women-specific programs, et cetera, et cetera. We've got all, all great abilities. stuff happening out there. We just don't tell the story. I, I guess the other thing that sort of strikes me, Fiona, and, and all of those things are true, but there's a very um, – Clubby is the wrong word. You must start to think in a certain way when you spend all your time dealing with governments. That makes sense because mm. you've got to, you've got to be in that mm. way of thinking. I almost feel like it needs to go that step further. So, to me, the things I'd like to say to government are: uh, well, what percentage of the population participates in AFL, rugby league, netball, and hockey? Because I think golf holds its own there. So, to me, then the next question is: and what percentage of the people taking part in that are using the facilities that government's contributing to? before the age of 10 and after the age of 30. Mm. Because golf's got a case to make as the only one of the very few lifelong pursuits, and that feels like it's overlooked to me. Leaving aside that five-year-old boys and girls can and do play together 
and at the same time they can play with their 90-year-old great-grandparents. Mm-hmm. No other sport can do those things, can they? No, and, and you're right. That's the, that's the big story we've got to tell. You can play this this game from five to 95. Um, no other sport can have grandparents, their children and grandchildren playing in one group together. It's It's just pretty much unheard of. Someone's so going to get hurt, Fiona. <laughs> if you start <laughs> playing AFL with your grandkids, someone's going to get hurt and it's not going to be them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, and, and there's a big um, chunk of the population that already plays golf. Um, and so I think it's, it's just constantly what I'm trying to do is tell governments that this is the story. This is our game. This is the importance of the game to communities, like golf clubs and facilities, and I say facilities as well because I'm talking about bu- public golf courses as well, mm-hmm. they can often, in particularly in regional areas, they're, they're often the hubs of communities. They're not just the golf course. They're, you know, your Lions group meetings and, and your charity days and all that sort of Friday thing. Friday night they for, They're right in the heart of the city in, of town and that's where everyone goes. They go there for weddings, for funerals, for parties, all that sort of thing. So they're, they're more than just a golf course. So that's the story we're telling, you know, local MPs and and councils as well, that it's more than just people behind a fence playing golf exclusively. Mm. Hands up everyone who has not been to a 21st or a wedding reception <laughs> or an anniversary or an engagement party at a golf club. There's that's not right. going to be many people yep. in the world, particularly, as you say. Or a meat uh, raffle. <laughs> <laughs> we might have invented the uh, – when you come across people in government, which you do all the time, Fiona, what's been their experience of golf? Are many of them golfers? Often they are. Yes, they often are. And they, and they particularly, I find it fascinating when I talk to ministerial advisors, which I used to be one, mind you, um, that oh, well, they, they say, oh, well, I'm a member of such and such golf club and I play every Saturday. I'm like, well, great. So you know what I'm talking about. You know the sport. You know the game. And they sit there and they nod and they go, oh, yeah, I get that. They just don't expect sport to be the golf to be that sport that has any problems. And that's, again, that's that perception that we've got to try and break down. Are some of the issues that have evolved throughout the COVID pandemic actually been bad for golf? Do you think, Fiona, like there's there's been this simplification of operations at clubs? And some clubs have found just to what extent they rely on those hospitality uh, operations. And it jeopardises the whole club when those revenue streams aren't available anymore. Is is that necessarily a bad thing that clubs are sort of discovering that, that they're vulnerable in that area and that perhaps, um, you know, the, the actual sporting facility, which is, you know, the, the, the reason for its being – is is actually at jeopardy because of these other revenue streams being taken away or being less reliable? It could well be. It's not a direct conversation that I've had with any of the golf clubs, but it, it certainly could be. And I know that the fallout from COVID-19 is still being assessed. So um, we've got a, a team of club and facility support officers out on the ground talking to each and every single club and facility about how hard they've been hit, whether it's been food and beverage that's taken the biggest hit or whether it's been rounds of golf. So you've got to um, remember a lot of smaller volunteer-run clubs um, and, and facilities in regional Australia don't have that food and beverage component. And so when they have um, rounds of golf, that that's their main source of income. So particularly in Victoria, when they had a complete shutdown of all the golf courses, those clubs were particularly hard hit because 
all of a sudden they had no revenue to pay their utilities or, or anything like that. And they could not access um, the stimulus packages that were available from the federal and state governments because they had a turnover of less than $75,000 a year. So it was a catch-22 for those clubs. And we're still working, I'm still working with the Victorian government down here to um, uh, come up with some sort of assistance for those clubs. There's there's bits and pieces, there's little grants available for them here and there, which they've all um, put their hand up for, but the, they're going to need more, we think. So th- th- that's the sort of um, assessment that I think these clubs are, are doing. Just navigating that fractured highway of government grant availabilities to know what mm. you may or may not be eligible for for a small golf club, that is nightmare stuff. I imagine your phone was pretty quiet for those couple of weeks when golf was off in Victoria and on everywhere else. Fiona, nobody would have been calling you, would they, to ring Daniel Andrews and tell him to sort it out? Not at all, not <laughs> at all. I just kick back and relax. Yeah, no, that's exactly oh, right. We had, take- you had Sam Newman advocating for golf during that period, didn't you? So that was, oh, come on, that was not a right. fair thing to ask Fiona. None of, that, <laughs> none of that's got anything to do with her. That's a question for the new CEO. When we get one, you mentioned two magical words earlier, uh, Fiona, which is probably the area that Adrian and I are more particularly interested in. Golf clubs, obviously, are one entity in one form of the game, but public golf, and we see public golf Australia-wide, pardon me, essentially under threat in a lot of places. Now, there's some fairly high-profile cases that we know of, and so I suppose it makes some sense to focus on those. Victoria Park in Brisbane. Of course, not in the centre of the city, but uh, pretty close to the centre of the city in a busy, profitable, workable, functioning, uh, almost at capacity, as I understand it, golf facility is going mm-hmm. to be lost. Mm. When that happens, when that process is unfolding, what's Golf Australia's role? Do you – is it the job of Golf Australia to proactively – be representing clubs before we get to this stage and then conversely once an announcement's been made by the state or local government that they're going to close a golf course what's the golf australia role then um that's a great question in the case of victoria park uh we were blindsided by that we we had no idea that the mayor was going to make that decision and is the mayor that made that decision not just not council um, and he has stuck to his guns, and so we were we were, we were caught on the hop. Traditionally, um, it's an interesting scenario with public golf courses because they're council owned and 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 run the majority of the times. They've they've never had any need to engage Golf Australia because our um, our, our customers or our clients are, ba- are our clubs who pay affiliation fees. But I think with the um, the roll-up into the one one golf management model, and having me come on board and 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 look at these issues as a whole, um, that particular Victoria Park case enabled us to go, okay, we've got a problem here with council-owned courses where councils are eyeing off these packages of land for obvious reasons. They've got pressures with population increases, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They want more dog walking parks, whatever they want. They need motorways to go through. We've got a role to play to say, hang on, there's there's golf here and the, and this is uh, a, a well-utilised facility. It's the same at Moore Park in Sydney, as you know. I've heard you guys talk about that before. So we um, uh, we started to put together a local government engagement strategy and that is a strategy where um, we, we had a, a group of consultants come on board to, do, to reach out to local governments, do a survey and say, right, what do you know about Golf Australia and what do you – what 
what do you know about um, what what we do, et cetera, et cetera, and how we can work together to move forward. So that survey produced some interesting results, but probably the biggest one was that less than 80% of LGAs were unaware of Golf Australia's research and planning documents that relate to golf programs and facilities. Wow. So, yeah. Um, it was that that's a pretty big figure. So we've we've got some work to do. And so this plan has really um, come up with some ideas around, okay, what what are we going to do here? We're, and we've started to that plan was finalized in February and then COVID nineteen hit. So it's sort of been sitting in the background for a little while because I've been busy with other things. But um, it's I'm, you know, it's now becoming a bit more prevalent that we need to engage with local at that local government level it it's probably going to be a full-time job in the future um you mean actively approach so somebody be yourself or somebody else will drive around the country or digitally drive around the country contacting local governments and saying hey we're from golf australia what's your golf situation can we help simplistically would that be something like that was how it looked ideally it'd be great to have someone who is that local government contact just where, you know, councils can ring, okay, who's this person at Golf Australia I need to ring? Right, we've got this issue. And just talk about these things because sometimes councils, they 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 look at the problems that they've got with golf facilities and throw their hands up in the air and just go, it's, it's too hard. We easy, haven't got the resources. Easy to build houses on it, much more profitable. Let's just do that. That's right. So, um, and, and we, we, of course, don't want to, don't want that to happen because, once you lose a golf course, you don't get it back. No, they don't ever come back. No, no, they never no come golf back. courses ever come no. back. Once they're gone, they're yeah. gone. Is there Once any indication, Fiona, and it would probably be a council-by-council council case, I, I accept that, but is there broadly any indication of what level of golf understanding or expertise might be available at the majority of local governments who have within their boundaries a public golf course? And by that I mean, does anybody within government know anything about the game in terms of managing a golf facility. It seems from the outside that for the most part, councils just find somebody to subcontract it to and don't think about it again until it's either an environmental or an economic issue that they need to deal with. Does that sound about right? Is that where we are with with public golf mostly? I think that's where we are. I think that's an accurate assessment. There's uh, there's certainly... um, a couple of councils that have um, one or two golf courses that um, keep them well managed and they manage them internally. So there's there's one in, in Melbourne in uh, Burundara Council Freeway Golf Course, although that's about to be chopped up by the north northeast links. It's probably a bad example. But Burundara Council actually employ people to maintain the course and manage it themselves without subcontracting. So it does it does work. But I think the majority of, of councils do just basically set and forget. Um, and then when issues hit the fan, then they then they throw their hands up and go, well, how do we get rid of this problem? It, it seems and that's me- where we need to step in. Yeah, it, it seems to me, Fiona, that the arguments to be made each time in favour of golf are very consistent. Mm. Like that, it seems like there could be a playbook that's sort of put together to to give the the arguments about you know exercise and benefits to the community and preservation of green space and mental health, mental health, mental go through health, the list, yeah. um, and and revenue and and that golf clubs could actually get proactive about some of this stuff and protect themselves against future unwanted scrutiny. Uh, for example, you know, take down fences at public golf courses. Um, mm. 
introduce walking tracks. I, I love the concept in in England, which somehow didn't really translate across to here of having a commons or, or calling some of these places a commons. Mm-hmm. Like if Moor Park was called the Moor Park Commons, mm. uh, then less of an issue. It would be less. Just just labeling something a little bit differently is. You know, I think creates a much different perception. It's it's uh, it's it invites the world in. Actually, that word commons. The UK, of course, is the best example. In Australia and America, we've adopted in many ways the worst things about golf to be exported mm-hmm. from those places. In Scotland, in particular, I'm not sure whether you've been to Scotland and played golf, Fiona. The game yeah. is very much at the centre of communities, both geographically and in thinking. So even if you don't play golf and you live in St Andrews. There's no reason to feel badly towards golf because it's just a part of the town and always has been. You're allowed to walk across the golf course. You would have played frisbee on it when you were a kid. Those are things that we don't have here, and that's not going to magically start, I don't think, in the next (laughs) couple of months. But what can we do? And Moore Park's a fantastic specific example, Fiona. It seems to me that I don't think Moore Park's under a genuine threat in as much as Clovermore doesn't actually have any authority to close any part of Moore Park. She's just campaigning for that to happen. Yeah. So there's a couple of things there. Why is why does she think that way? What are the benefits? And so there's some discussions to be had with her about that. But more to the point, what can golf proactively do about plans to share space like Moore Park better so that people like Clovermore have less ammunition is the wrong term, but have less of a grievance, a legitimate grievance to make about that land being locked off for a small part of the community? Mm. I, I think there's been um, – I think fear is a big blocker and I, and, and I say fear in terms of fear of, um, you know, people getting injured by errant golf balls, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I think fear of insurance claims has been probably one of the biggest um, problems in that's that That's legitimate, that isn't it, Fiona? Let's not pretend that that's not no, an issue. Let's not. There's, um, there's again, there's another uh, public golf course in Melbourne uh, near the zoo and – there are people that, you know, basically walk through that um, golf course while you're hitting off the third or fourth tee. It's a bit of a scary thing to do when you're hitting a golf ball and you see um, a couple of kids with backpacks walking up the fairway. It's Try like, it from the other side, Fiona. It's no, it's no hoot <laughs> when the ball's coming at you either. I'll give you the tip. No, no, it's not. So I guess, I guess there's that. So there's those sort of little um, uh, problems you're going to get through. But I think there's definitely um, – benefits around sharing the facility there's no doubt about that and I think there's it's certainly discussions need to be had at that at the council level to 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 perhaps you know let's talk about this don't just close the course particularly up in Brisbane with Victoria Park but um how how can we share the facility so we've we've tried to have discussion with council up there about perhaps having um a six hole par three because they're going to keep the driving range and they're going to keep the obviously the the, the other bits. areas. Yeah. Yes. The exactly. bits that make money. Yeah. <laughs> as as we advocated back in uh, I think October, I was up there talking to officers. The mayor was was not available, um, but talking to council officers, and we talked about um, how can we put in a you know six hole par three, have it maybe lit up at night time for people to play, et cetera, et cetera. And they liked that idea. Um, it hasn't gone anywhere, obviously. Um, and so it's it's still sitting in that um, pocket there with, with the council um, and I'm not sure where they're going with it. So we're trying to come up with solutions. It's just a matter of them listening. 
Uh, not to butt in on Fiona here, but just a quick reminder to visit our network sponsor at thegolfsociety.com.au. All the very best brands in apparel and accessories, all in one convenient online location. And a discount off your first purchase for Talking Golf listeners. Just go to thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash Golf, just the one G in Talking Golf, and get shopping today. Now back to Fiona Telford. The, the safety thing is a legitimate concern, but I'm thinking that if we can fly to the moon and back mm-hmm. for the most part <laughs> without Ooh. losing too much in the way of life, we can figure out ways to share well, public golf space. So Adrian's tea party idea is probably going to get a party. one, <laughs> yeah. which I think is a fabulous one. Have you heard this one, Fiona? Oh, it's brilliant. No, I haven't. Brilliant oh. in its simplicity. Like the guy who sliced the bread. It's well, genius. Well, some of the most safe places on golf courses are around tees. Generally, golf courses are designed so that balls don't head towards tees. Tees are also very flat. And they've often got a shady area, especially towards the back somewhere. And they've often got a little bit of course furniture around them. And I, I just think that's a fantastic place to have a picnic. Rent and them out to You can rent those out to picnics. To, and it's got built-in entertainment. It's got built-in. You've got golfers coming through every seven or eight minutes to uh, entertain mm-hmm. you. And as long as they were all bought into the concept, Shanks, and they really tops, should be. Duffs. Yes, they should. You know the first person who makes a noise while someone's taking a swing, 24 markers taking a swing, that'll be- Golfers uh, have to get over it. And not every tee is appropriate for this. No, no. So Look, we laugh about that, but that it's got some legitimate- they are the sorts of creative ideas, aren't they? I've registered the domain name. I know. Haven't I know? Tea, you used the on your tweet <laughs> the other day with it as well. Aren't they some of the sorts of creative ideas that we need to consider within golf? This is the other problem with golf. The image we have is 100% our own fault, and we don't do anything to fix it, do we? Before you answer that, just I want your opinion on my tea party ideas. Oh, sorry, and what do you think it. of the tea party? Thank you. I think it's great. Okay. You can answer Rod's question now. Um, oh, to sorry, the question. question right there. Our, image, our image problem is of our own making, and it, and we don't do anything to fix it. And just mentioning the idea that Adrian's mentioned there, you and I and Adrian all know the first club we go to to pitch this idea, the members will be absolutely gobsmacked that anybody could come up with something so stupid. Yes. So exactly. How do we fix that? How do we convince golfers that it's in their own interests to grow up, get over themselves, and learn that we need to share? Well. I- that's exactly right, and and it's it's not just Golf Australia that can do that. We're we're trying we're trying our best, but yeah, golfers, you're right. As an industry, need to sit up and go right. Well, why do these um, bureaucrats and and politicians want to take our land away from us? Well, this is this is the reason. So they've got to stop, you know, getting out there and going right. Well, I'm I'm playing at ten o'clock, and then I'm off the course at two, and then I'm home. No, you got to be a bit more involved than that. Um, and yeah, just just have a bit more of a broad thinking around it and and work together and and sign petitions and like the Victoria Park issue up in Brisbane was great because people you know you know started jumping up and down on social media um started abusing Golf Australia for doing nothing which is common it's a sport um, itself Fiona it's a sport itself <laughs> that's right um but you know just get out there and start and rather than and uh, I laugh about that, but I think why waste your energy focusing on us? Because it's not us that make the decisions. It's councils. It's governments that make the decisions. Focus your anger there because if you jump up and down and start screaming at them, enough of you do it, then they'll sit up and take notice more more to you guys than they will us as Golf Australia. Yes, we'll join you in that chorus, but it's got to be led by the people. 
in some ways, whilst you're you're right about that, but that's the least effective path, isn't it? Ultimately, that means that something's happened that's stirred the iron, and I think we can all safely say Victoria Park is probably now a lost cause. There doesn't seem to be any possibility that that golf course will be kept, regardless what happens. And in fact, in some ways, because of where we are, where people have now taken positions, and we know what happens once people have taken a position they can't possibly ever give it up because that would be losing face. And so, so you ideally want to avoid getting to that. That area, don't you? That, 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 and the jumping up and down needs to start much later for a lot of golfers too. I guess that's what I'm saying. Within golf, we've got our own problems to deal with in the mm. way we deal with the outside world as well. Yeah. Yes, that's right. But that's that's probably a discussion that needs to be had at that CEO level yeah. <laughs> rather yeah, than yeah. me. I, I, I think about it, Fiona. I imagine that you must look – all over the place for ideas and inspiration uh, that you can take to various levels of government, state, local and federal about the, the the good of golf and the good that golf does. What sorts of things do you like? We often talk here about the Winter Park concept in Florida. Uh, mm-hmm. Fantastic public facility. Uh, I, I feel like if you took councils across there, <laughs> yeah, that would be one of the biggest investments or one of the best so investments. Everything has a junket. <laughs> and you might come back exactly. with a good idea. Who exactly. Account any council person who would hear that story of Winter Park and see the turnaround there, see photos of it before, and then see mm. photos of how vibrant and active it is now, and how much money it makes now, uh, and for how little money it took to transform it, I think would be their their attitude towards golf and their facility within their or just neighbourhood would completely change. It would be one of the best investments golf could make in, in any. Threatened. So do you do that, Fiona? Area. Do you look at things like Winter Park and present cases, case studies like that to people? We at, at that council level, uh, very early days of doing that. Uh, I haven't been to Winter Park. I don't get to go on junkets, and I dare say I won't be able to do that <laughs> no, for a very a long sell, time now. <laughs> um, but um, we do look at those sorts of ideas, and 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 the guys in the office come to me and say, "Well, you know, perhaps we could." Um, you know, lobby state government. Top Golf's been one of those things that we've we've talked to state government about a lot, um, and they've been particularly interested in it, particularly down in Melbourne. But it still it still hasn't got off the ground because there's no location for it just yet. It needs to be centrally located, and um, I think Docklands was ruled out. Um, Do we know the effectiveness of Top Golf as yet, or has it been confirmed that we see a crossover of people from Top Golf to golf? I'm not. I don't know whether there has or hasn't, but that was always the thing about Top Golf. It made a big splash, and when it's mm. and it's clearly a great business idea, and lots of people like it. But does golf broadly benefit from Top Golf? Do we know? I don't know. I'd have to take that on notice, mm. Rod, um, and do a bit of research into yeah. that. But it uh, it is hugely popular. I, I do know that. I know yeah, that, the yeah. transition into golf. I'm not sure. I think there's this desire to broaden the definition of golf to include anything that. Mm includes holding a golf club and swinging it at a golf ball and top golf fits that nicely and and there's a lot of participation there and then maybe they're they're going to play more traditional forms of golf Mm. um but yeah there's it's it's hard like some people listening their eyeballs would have rolled out of their head (laughs) (laughs) at the mention of top golf but uh it's uh, nonetheless, it is it is something to explore, isn't it? It's what I for me, it's one of those things where we've got to be doing a bit of everything, and we've got mm. to be doing it all really correctly because you don't know what no. is actually going to hit. And in fact, there is no Super Bowl. Yeah, it's it's a combination of all sorts of activities that we can be doing. Yeah. Um, 
So and Top Golf probably fits one of those, as does Mini Golf and Top other Golf's things. got the advantage for a government, I imagine, Fiona. It's big and shiny and obvious, and you can go and open it. Yeah, it ticks yep. a lot of boxes, doesn't it? You can be exactly. on the news and cut a ribbon, and someone can hit a golf ball, and the screen will do something. And it all looks nice, and so it's got some and, appeal in that way. And it's highly likely someone else will pay for it, um, mm. in terms of a, a, a private private entity, and and so government can invest in it as as an investment, but not um, not not a hundred percent responsibility for it. On that notion. Uh, has there ever been or will there ever be consideration given by Golf Australia to perhaps at some point partner with a council for an experiment along the lines of Winter Park? Again, question I'm going to take on notice. I don't know I don't know if those discussions have been happening above my level, mm. so I'm not sure. Would there be uh, – not, <laughs> not to have you form Golf Australia policy oh. right here on our podcast, but <laughs> – on the face of it, is that the sort of thing? And the sort we talked about creative thinking. Is that the sort of thing that Golf Australia might start to consider? And when I say partner, it doesn't necessarily have to be a financial investment. Just the expertise available at Golf Australia, combined yeah. with the resources of a local government. The, the danger of a winter park experiment in Sydney, for example, is that people who've got no idea what they're doing do it. So they go onto the internet, they look up winter park, they see a golf course with a quaint building. And they go ahead and build what they think is a golf course, a quaint yeah. building, without understanding the golf aspects of it. Golf as an industry is, or as a business is much more difficult to run than people think, isn't it? People think you just build a golf course and people go and play golf on it. Well, we know that it's not that simple. So yeah. I've asked you about right. a thousand questions in there. Can you answer all of them, please, one at a time, clearly and concisely? I will do my very best. <laughs> um, but what I will say is that, that that's the whole purpose behind the local government engagement strategy. So... Part of the strategy in, in year one, it's a three-year plan, and in year one, what we're going to do, and that's 2021, 2020 and 2021, um, establish local government reference groups in each state and territory. So there'll be representatives from Golf uh, Australia or Golf um, Queensland or whoever the state body is up there, and, and local governments sitting around meeting once a quarter to talk about golf and ha what issues are, are happening out there, what um, what needs assistance? What approach needs to be taken? And then that that information will be collated and and acted upon. So that that's the primary thing that I want to establish first. And then I guess out of that comes discussions, and out of that comes ideas, and that's where we want to get to. And then we work together to find solutions. Yeah, it's um it's a big and somewhat daunting project, I'd imagine. In many ways, it's too big for one person to deal with every local government in the in the country. In fact, it's probably even too big on a state by state basis for one person to deal with it. So the the setup of that infrastructure is going to be crucial, isn't it? And how you yeah. love the idea that somebody at a local council has a question about golf and they just ring the Golf Australia local council hotline. Yeah, That's not not as simple necessarily as it sounds, is it? No, that that'd be that'd be one very busy person at <laughs> Golf Australia. <laughs> so I guess this is where the reference groups. Um, come into play and they identify the top three issues or the top three projects or whatever needs to be addressed and then work around that. And um, and we and, and look, Golf Australia's got some good people working there. We've got, as I said, our club and facility support officers on the ground, so they they're often out there talking to um, to to local governments as well about what's happening. So it's it's slowly but surely getting um, getting better at that level. But we've got a long way to go. Mm. Has there been a realisation more recently that this is going to be a more important role for Golf Australia? I feel that through the 70s, 80s, 90s and most of the first decade of the 2000s, 
this probably wasn't something the Golf Australia needed to think about, but that in the last decade in particular, we've really started to see golf broadly somewhat threatened by some of these issues. Yes, and I think that's particularly why this um, government relations role was created, um, definitely down in Victoria and now uh, now in, in at that Australian level because that this is something, and I'll go back to the local government strategy, this is something that the AFL did in Victoria 10 years ago and um, they just have uh, everything in place, all the structures in place to deal with local government issues on a day-to-day basis. Um, again, AFL is is very lucky in the t- in the sense that they have um, big carrots to dangle in terms of tickets to the footy and tickets to the grand final, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And lots of money, Fiona. The AFL is not short of a quid, are they? That was my next point. Yeah, um, <laughs> sorry, I should <laughs> cut you off there. So. <laughs> and look, and they're lucky they've got TV rights to pay for it. We're we're a sport that doesn't have that. So, and we're definitely a not-for-profit organisation in Golf Australia. So, we do the best we can with what we've got. Um, but we also we we tap into our friends at the AFL and say, hey, how do how do you, how do you deal with this? And 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 they're, they're kind enough for, to give us advice and some guidance and stuff like that. So that's where we go there. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm encouraged by some of the things you said earlier, Fiona, about how you're talking or government want to see the benefits to communities and that sort of thing. Because I think the perception that a lot of a lot of golfers have about government support to golf in Australia is that it's all about Rory elite Rory programs and, and and junior programs as well, which is there's nothing wrong with that. But um, you know, the majority of club golf isn't isn't juniors and the the industry doesn't really run on juniors. It's a, there's a delayed benefit there, but uh, is is that is that the case, or is that something that you're actively having to sort of take or include as part of the discussion with government to make them aware that your customers are clubs and golfers? Uh, yes, it's it's certainly a message. Uh, the benefits to the community has been a strong message that I've been banging on for a very very long time, and it's in particular when I'm. Um, seeking infrastructure funding because they say, oh, well, as soon as as soon as Golf Australia goes to a, a politician and says, we need money to upgrade a clubhouse, they think, mm, what, Royal Melbourne or Royal Sydney or something like that? And you go, no, it's actually out in regional Australia and this is, this is the role they play in the community and these are the mental health benefits of the game that um, we can produce as part of a community impact study that was done back in 2017. So once that governments are big on data and numbers, and so we've we've got the data and the numbers to show them. It's just a matter of getting them over that line, and and I think we're getting there. So we're getting some um, <clears throat> positive results. Like as I said, the better building better region fund has. Um, provided funding for uh, obviously Bairnsdale and I think there's one in South Australia and a couple in New South Wales. So we're actually getting there. Whereas I don't think five or six years ago you'd have any golf club getting any money from a funding program like that. So we're getting there. And then, and there's lots of messages. I mentioned um, mental health is a big one. The, the environmental benefits of a golf course to the community is also huge. Um, they're home to native, native flora and fauna, all those sorts of messages. Um, yeah, sorry. Tougher solo, isn't it, Fiona? Most people won't buy that. <laughs> well, on, on the environmental thing, you know, I have this concern that particularly private golf clubs where people look over the fence and see Bright an green. incredibly green mm-hmm. environment and, 
irrigation lines, like multiple irrigation lines running down a fairway and sprinklers running. While their own lawn is dying. Various times a day. And while their own lawn, exactly, while their own lawn is dying. And good on clubs who've secured a water supply. They're not necessarily taking water out of the community, although some are. They're buying Mm -hmm. water at tens of thousands of dollars just to keep looking green. Is golf going to be faced with a point where the community is just going to we'll not rise up it. against that <laughs> and, and just say, look, you cannot be using our water like that. It's I haven't faced that issue. Um, it's it, quite the opposite, actually, and I guess I'm talking about region, I, metro clubs, yes, they, they've got access to, to water and all that sort of thing, but regionally they're, they're struggling as much as um, farmers are. They've got um, no water, they've got no access to water and they're, um, you know, they're, their fairways are dying and, and, and all that sort of thing are happening. And, and, yes, you've got members of the community that don't play golf and go, oh, well, boo-hoo, the golf club, golf club is dying. But you've also got members of the community that rely on that golf club to, to go to every two or three times a week or, or sometimes more, and that and that's 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 their life. That's what they do. So it's, it's not fair to allow um, a golf course in regional Australia to die off just because they've got green fairways and green tees, et cetera, et cetera. They are the heart of their community sometimes. So, but, but um, those, and yeah, I think that is one much more for the metropolitan clubs and, and you know, one for like a Moore Park or something like that. Very much. Where it's not, it's not going it, to be long. It's not a good look no. having a common area like that, that mm. park, Extinction Rebellion are getting land. smaller. Exactly. (laughs) Golf courses are a very easy target for that. And in fairness, Fiona, golf needs to justify its existence. We can't can't just feel entitled, can we, as golfers, that we're just entitled to have a golf course in the city? No, no, not at all. Um, Yeah, we need to justify our existence, but I think we can. I do too, but I'm not sure golfers often think that way. They just assume that because they play golf and they remember at their golf club that it has a right to exist or that all courses have a right to exist. And that's a dangerous attitude for golfers to have we're no less important than football but we're no more important either we're just another sport in the mix that needs to campaign for its place which brings me neatly to the what i think is probably the most fun part fiona is there a place for golf to be more aggressive in its approach with governments in terms of uh, making them live up to their responsibilities to golf they promote all other sports virtually all levels of government Constantly, but almost none of them do anything to promote golf, and that yeah. feels wrong to me. You could probably make the same case a bit about tennis, but why is it not incumbent on a council who say, "Well, there's not many people playing the golf course"? Why is our response our response not? It's your golf course. You market it and get people using it. Yeah. You try saying that to them. Oh, I'll try. Don't you worry, Fiona. And then your job is not going to be anywhere near as easy as it was last week. Uh, well, it's not. It's, uh, th- this is what we're trying to do. Sure. This is, they're not listening. They sometimes they just don't listen. Do they have a responsibility? Am I right? Yeah, about they do. That? I think they do. I do too. Personally, mm. yeah. Why because, shouldn't they? Well, exactly. They're quite happy to to jump into bed with cricket and tennis and the high-profile sports and swimming and all of those other things. Um, We know golf has an issue about space, but that's the only difference between golf and those other sports is the amount of land that it takes. Mm. Uh, And so once you can – And that's not all negative either. No, it's not. Exactly. If the space is used widely and shared, then some of those issues can be overcome. So what's your your feeling when you look into the the future, Fiona? Positive, bleak, somewhere in between? What do you no, think is going to happen with golf and governments and cities and 
I think um, uh, I think this pandemic has given us an opportunity to promote golf as a, as a sport that is good for everybody in the community. And I think governments are listening to that now. We're like a lot of discussions, like I've, I've never been on so many roundtables in my life with, with governments um, that actually are listening to golf and, and hearing what we're saying. And, you know, the other sports are there too and they've got their, their points to make. But everyone is this – pandem- this pandemic has been a great leveller for, for sport and I think um, – Everyone's putting their hand up. There's been a lot of noise out there, but I think everything as, as everything settles down, I'm hoping, and I can only hope because I'm not a member of the government, as I'm hoping that from that federal level down, that government will look at sport and go, right, there is an opportunity for us to spread the funds more evenly and fairly across the board at that community level um, so that sport can survive post pandemic times but uh, and I'm positive that they can do that because I know they can do it because I used to work in that space um the focus has been way too heavy um on Olympics and gold medals and that hasn't worked it's got to be back down at that community level where they pour the funding in there and get the kids playing golf you know etc I want them playing golf um obviously but Get them out, get them playing, and then you have your champions of the future. That's that. I think that this this time that we're in now presents a really good opportunity for that. And I hope that governments. That's the message I'm trying to get to governments. Never waste a good crisis, Fiona. It strikes me that golf's a fantastic <laughs> secondary sport for young people too, isn't it? Loads. Of, in fact, most professional golfers at some point chose golf over something else. So golf was always as one of two or three sports uh, that young people play. So there's no reason. Well, for, and in fact, for most people. Golf is a secondary sport. They play a main sport and then golf is a second, so it can always mm. be a part of that. Let's quickly switch gears and you touched on it there. Just briefly, you mentioned the Olympics and that sort of thing. At the other end of the spectrum, you deal with governments about things like the Australian Open and the Australian Women's Open. Is that an easier sell or does it just bring a different and its own unique set of challenges? Uh, the Australian Open's a, a, an interesting one because it's outsourced. The management of that is outsourced. So you have no, no role to play in that? Uh, not a lot. Wow. Okay. Not a lot. I'll be honest. Uh, more so the Vic Open, um, and the and the Women's Open. We've we've got a really strong relationship with the South Australian government across there. That um, and that's that's always they love that event over so there. That, and both the Vic Open and the Australian Women's Open have been huge successes in all ways, haven't they? For golf and for mm. those outside of the game who've invested in them. And I think the Australian Women's Open in particular has found a fabulous home there in Adelaide where it is not just held up because they funded it, but it's been a legitimately positive addition to their calendar. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And, and, you know, don't dismiss the Vic Open. The Vic Open has been extraordinarily successful down in um, 13th Beach because of that, um, the men's and women's format. Yep. Um, I don't dismiss it, Fiona. It's my (laughs) favourite golf (laughs) tournament in the world. Yeah. Oh, me too. I love it. I just love going down there every year. It's it's a fabulous, fabulous atmosphere. But um, and the Victorian government just loves it. It just it it brings people out. It it's a fun time to be together. It proves that men's and women's championship golf can be played together. And I I really want to see that happen more. It goes Um, well too. Is the other thing. If, If you're putting money into it as the Vic government. It would be hard to calculate what corner of the globe you haven't been seen in with the Vic That's Open right. and its unique format. It showcases. It does exactly what it's supposed to do. Showcases that part of Victoria. I, th- I think Absolutely. it's a, It's a good example of a lot of the stuff we've been talking about 
today as well where some local action has led by example for things that mm. can happen at a more national or even global level in this case. And I, in some ways, just, I mean, getting back a little bit to club stuff and public golf, I feel like that's kind of the approach that's going to be successful in Australia is... Bottom up, not top down. Bottom up, yeah. So, and it almost needs that sort of mastermind, like the the big finger sort of putting... <laughs> Putting a pin He's doing down. a Monty Python impersonation. <laughs> exactly. His giant finger has come pushing down. The big no, finger sort of putting putting a pin down in the map of the ideal location that can be made the example where you, okay. you act locally here and demonstrate what can be done. And take it out. And then, and then it can expand out. The Vic Open, I think, is a great example of that, where Golf Victoria yeah. did exactly that. They said, we're going to make something special here. And it, it needed that sort of mastermind approach. It's not like putting your hand up for help. It's like, no, no, we're going to make it happen and then made, making it happen and then everybody learns from that example. Yeah. Th- those are the things that really catch on, I think, rather than sort of that top-down approach. But the key to that, I think, Fiona, with the Vic Open, was they simply kept – they simply stuck around. They were just there. It would have been very easy after the first year when it was in Metropolitan Melbourne. I think it was at Spring Valley and I can't Woodlands. remember the other course. Woodlands. I think. It would have been very easy after that first year to just say – yeah, it wasn't a huge success. Nice try. It was worth a go, but we didn't do any good with it. And here we are eight years later and have a look at what the Vic Open has become, LPGA and European Tour co-sanctioned. And in fact, it's now at risk of becoming a victim of its own success. <laughs> That's It's got to the point- Could get moved around. It's kind of so which big. Is, now the pressure's on. Well, when can we bring it to Melbourne? Where would you play it in Melbourne? And all of those things, it might be, they are challenges because the Vic Open would lose a lot of what makes it the Vic Open. The Bellarine and, and, and that yeah. is such a special part of it, really. It becomes that a community. bigger event. Yeah. It, it risks losing some stuff. So they're, they're things for them. They're good problems to have, but they are yeah. sort of problems. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Fiona, it's been fabulous of you to join. We, we really do appreciate you taking the time. Don't envy your job in many ways because there's no end to it, I would assume, uh, and, and there's not going to be, but lots of challenges ahead. But I think there's probably some – Good reason for optimism. As you've said, golf's been given a bit of a boost by this COVID-19 thing in a funny way, uh, yeah. in the way we're perceived outside. It hasn't done much for us within, we know that, but let's take the good bits and see what we can make of those. It's been fantastic. Will you come back and keep us up to date with that LGA thing? That's the one to me that I'm really interested in. I think the Absolutely. Australian Open will always take care of itself, but those yeah. council courses and getting close and all of those things, that's the really important stuff for golf because without that, the private club ultimately disappears. That's what That's happens. That's right. And I think um, I think it'll be a slow burn, but yeah. I think we'll get there. I'm, I'm My glass is half full. Oh, that's that good. One, to, so. Good yeah. to hear. Glad to hear it. Is it have to be. What's, what's in the glass? Is it, is it whiskey it half or? off? Because if, <laughs> if it's started shiraz. full and now it's only half full, you might have, you might have a problem. It's well, always we might a have a problem with our, <laughs> Fabulous. Lovely to chat with you, Fiona. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, guys. Good to chat. Yeah, good to chat to you too, Adrian. Always get to, good to get your insights and your Monty Python finger. I know the, view, the listeners you, didn't get to see it, but yep. that was no, a No, you provided. You painted a great word for picture there. Episode 35 of the Good Good Golf Podcast, done and dusted. We will, of course, be back to it all again next week with episode 36 here on Good Good.